How do you take an agency that is a lifestyle business and turn it into an asset that can be worth a ton? Steve Marsnick tells us all about how he's doing it on this episode of Agency Exits. Hey, Raj Jha with another episode of Agency Exits. I'm here with Steve Marsnick, who has a fascinating tale of taking an agency and turning it into something entirely different. So Steve, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely. When you first reached out, I, I just loved the concept because the concept of what you're doing here, because I walked a path without a lot of guidance in terms of, you know, started agency, dealt with all the growing pains, saw new opportunities on the horizon. And I just thought, I wish I had some resources, what you're building here to help me navigate that path. So happy to share what I can with, with your audience. Yeah, fantastic. I, mean, I think we all suffer from this thing where in the agency world, people don't seem to share the real story, right? I guess we're all marketers, PR, advertising people at heart. So we oh, want to yeah. present ourselves as something that we might not be, even though I know I can tell you my business was held, it was totally MacGyvered together. It was like dental <laughs> floss and bailing wire and all that, just holding it together. So I appreciate you sharing. So why don't we start yeah. out and you can tell me a little bit about agency side of the journey before we get into the really kind of fun stuff that you did with it. But maybe you can start out with what kind of agency it was and your growth path uh, in the first two years. Yeah, absolutely. So I started a company called Net Positive Agency back around seven, eight years ago now. So for me, it was, I stumbled into it with some intention but probably in a path that'd be familiar to, to a lot of folks out there. I had done marketing. I had done a wide variety of services within the marketing arena, social media content, paid advertising, social media, paid ads, that type of thing. I had found some, some personal fulfillment and success in some, in, in a couple of niches that made sense for me and my, my jobs. And I saw, you know what, I'd like to go solo. I think I'd have the opportunity to make a bigger impact, have do things more on my terms, be my own boss type yeah. of energy. And so back in my late 20s, I decided, you know what, it's time to rip the Band-Aid off, go solo, and I'm going to start an agency. And I think my I went into that with some proper thinking and some illusions around what it meant to run an agency. I'm happy to break down some of those misconceptions if they're interesting. Yeah, why, why, don't we, why don't we go into some of those? Because yeah. I think I was delusional about how hard it was going to be when I started out. So what was your, what did you think was going to happen? And then what actually happened? I know we're talking yeah. to agency owners. I think your path might resonate with them to say, yeah, this is actually a, a common occurrence. Yeah. So uh, I think a couple, a couple things jump out to me as like little lessons learned slash things I wish I knew. One would be someone told me after the fact that it takes, you can take two to three years to replace your previous level of income in setting mm -hmm. up an agency and kind of going or in, in going solo. And that mapped my experience. It took mm -hmm. a while to get going. And that was, I think I underestimated that, that curve to adoption because I knew so many people who all said, yeah, totally. I'd love to work with you. Just you know, nominally interest existed right. out there. And so if this exists, then I'm sure if I just applied some of the things I'm good at marketing, I should be able to attract plenty more clients and that, that poses challenges. I think the other one, I, I knew this, but it just slapped me in the face a little bit more as I got started was that what, like 30% of the business is the stuff that you're good at. I'm good at marketing stuff. Therefore, right. let's start an agency around that. Whereas 70% is HR, finance, accounting, doing our client own management. client yeah. management. And so that was challenging. And I think also I started with, you know, baked into the name net positive agency. I started with quite altruistic intentions of being able to provide great services for mostly social impact companies, some folks who might be mm -hmm. priced out of, mm -hmm. of other kinds of services. And I think I entered in with the assumption that working with clients that may have had smaller budgets would have would be either somewhere between easier to work with or grateful <laughs> for the work we were doing <laughs> right. and therefore be a, a dream kind of a situation. Whereas I think as many folks listening would know, sometimes 
bigger, smaller budgets means bigger expectations and bigger problems and more scrutiny. Whereas the folks who they they've gone, they built successful companies. They are more professional already. Mm -hmm. They they right. they have more experience under their belt. A fifty dollar difference in one thing is okay. That's a rounding error as opposed to what do you mean a fifty dollar increase <laughs> in the scope of the thing? So I, I found that smaller clients, bigger problems also posed a, a challenge. And yeah, plenty more items. I'm sure you know you're you're smiling and laughing. The, the, the no, I, I know understanding it. I, yeah. Oh yeah, I started out. I had this belief, which I now don't have, which is you have to start at the bottom. And so I started with these engagements, which were literally 500 bucks a month. And then yeah. I was like, okay, if I only have a thousand of these, I'll make some money. And it's yeah. like, how hard could it be? And then you're like, oh, wow, these are the, the, these are the worst clients I could possibly have. They're so demanding for the 500. And then a couple of years later, and I just kept on doubling my price. I, I did it incrementally. And then I was like, okay, I was at $2,500. Like, what happens if I do 5,000? Okay, what happens if I do 10,000? And each time I did that, it became easier to sell, it became easier to service. I had to have less of them. So, you know, I learned it the hard way, even though I have relearned that lesson for the second time in my agency because I had a law firm before that. And I learned that lesson there. So it's just like, you know, pretty thick. Uh, anyway, I'm hoping that is that is anchored in in a way that I don't forget. But yeah, it's, it's, it's saying a deep. similar thing from a slightly different perspective. Yeah, that's a real one and a painful one. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to just start from the bottom when no, no, you don't. I mean, I, I've, I've interviewed people in this series, which they literally started with Fortune 500 from from ground zero, and so it is completely it's in your head, and it's what you want out of it also because that is yep. a different sales process. It's a different. Uh, but anyway, leaving that aside, so, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's positioning. It is, you know, what is the value that you're providing and to whom, and how do you articulate it in the right way to get those clients interested? But to continue the story of your journey, tell me about the mature agency. You went through the, the growing pains of that. And what did it look like before some of the interesting stuff you started doing on the platform side? Yeah. So I'll try to tell you the condensed version of my narrative and we can jump into the parts that might be, might be interesting. About two or three years in, I made what for me was a very good move of bringing on a partner into the company. As my mutual friend of another professional, his name was Rudy. He's a professional on the PR and SEO side. For me, that was that was a very useful thing for me because I it brought accountability. It brought a different perspective. It helped to address like the isolation that one may often feel in just being the sole decision maker and everything stops mm -hmm. with you and having a little bit more collaborative environments. That was chunk one. And then I'd say mm -hmm. my agency, net positive agency went through kind of two exits, I would say. Exit number one was when I essentially handed off all of the daily operations to Rudy, my partner. Mm -hmm. And I stayed on as somewhere between advisor or very fractional owner, owner, but very fractionally involved in the daily operations as I pursued a different opportunity with another business contact who's up in Boston. And that's Intelligent Relations is the company that I started in parallel with a different partner to having net positive agency. So I'd say mm -hmm. exit number one was that I left most daily operations in the hands of Rudy. I stayed involved in strategic things and some of the sales initiatives. And then I set out to co-found another company, Intelligent Relations, which was essentially a technology company focused exclusively on public relations using artificial intelligence. And mm -hmm. I did that in essentially in parallel, but full, really full-time focus for about a year and a half. That was, so this was Intelligent Relations to give a sense of the timeline. That was just pre-pandemic, basically spent most of the pandemic head underwater, looking at the computer, just like just from ground up, like deconstructing. This was tremendously fun and rewarding. I, I love this stuff. I love that early stage, but basically how could we build software uh, that would completely transform the way that public relations is done? And this was done with the intention of let's build this like a tech startup. My co-founder mm -hmm. was a VC. Mm -hmm. The aim was baking a lot of the knowledge I had from starting that positive into that. And then about a year and a half into that, we decided to do essentially exit number two, which was I have two companies here 
that are operating in parallel have clear synergies. My sales mm -hmm. process is better over here. The technology and the value proposition and all that stuff is, is clearly better on intelligent relations. I've got awesome folks on both sides. Let's essentially align interests and have intelligent relations do was essentially an aqua hire, like an acquisition hire and roll net positive agency into intelligent relations. So mm -hmm. essentially the new company did an acquisition mostly for talent processes, that mm -hmm. kind of thing of my previous company. And I can go into some of the mechanics of how that worked, but that for me, where I was sitting, straddling two companies that had a lot of synergies and a lot of growth, a tremendous amount of growth potential on the new one mm -hmm. was the right move for me to get everyone running in the same direction, align interests. And we have seen that those that move has paid off in some meaningful ways. So that was the exit number two, I would say, from, from net positive. So let's take a step into kind of your path to getting to that, right? Because you're running an agency, sure. you bring in a partner, and is it that you're starting to, hey, I'm not really crazy about running an agency and started looking for other things to do, or you were approached, or how does that come about? And, and how did you fall into this other opportunity? Because when we look at an agency... It's, mm -hmm. it's a vehicle, right? It's a vehicle for yeah. current cash. It's a vehicle for creating wealth. And you are doing it in a way where you've taken some know-how and you've been able to start an agency and then also pull that out and start a tech company. So I, yeah. I'm just interested in like, how, how should people conceive of that if they're thinking about, okay, I want to build assets, I want to build wealth, and I have certain knowledge and what are the paths to getting there? So maybe describe a little bit about that yeah. tipping point that took you away from the agency. Yeah. The decision to bring on a partner was part of the, the growth path that you described of looking for higher value clients. Mm -hmm. And I saw an opportunity to expand the scope of work we were doing. Originally, I hired Rudy as a, as a teammate, as a contractor. We saw that he was you know, tremendously talented and there was a lot of opportunity there and had some, some vision for how we could take the client engagements to the next level and quite easily double or triple the size of some of the engagements we were doing. And so there was an opportunity that kind of unfolded over time. It wasn't, hey, you're now my business partner. It was over the course of maybe six months to a year or so of establishing a positive working dynamic. We played off mm -hmm. each other. We complemented each other in some ways. And both on the very practical client services side and on a day-to-day -day work environment side, like we made better decisions together than I could make on my own. We saw mm -hmm. that this was the right move to do some kind of a, a formal partnership. My mindset was, yeah, growing services, growing profitability, and also, to be totally honest, as a sole agency owner, it was, there was a component that was focused on just work environment, happiness, like daily grind. It was a lot easier to get where I wanted to go with that kind of environment. I think that's mm -hmm. partially personality driven. There mm -hmm. are some folks who really want to be out there, highly visible in front, super self-promotional, have a deep, strong, innate profit motive that just keeps them mm -hmm. grinding. And I have desire to build. I've mm -hmm. desire to contribute. I love solving complex problems and all that, but having someone else like the difference between me making an extra thousand dollars a month or so is nice, but not, thank God, it's not life-changing. But no, right. let's do, let's go further together than I could go on my own. And come on, man, let's push a little harder. That really worked well for me from a dynamic mm -hmm. in uh, perspective. So I'm not sure that's yeah. appropriate no, for think, everybody, but it no, made sense I, I think, to me. I think that helps in terms of thinking about who are you and what do you want out of this thing? Because some people are solely economically driven. Some people are, it changes over time, right? I know my economic drive has changed when when I was just having a kid and then when the kids got older and they were more interactive and I wanted to spend more time with them, certainly like my balance has changed over time. So I think it changes for people over time. Yeah. Um, and that was also reflective of the chapter I was in. This was like late yeah. 20s, super early 30s. It was to a certain extent a lifestyle business. And that was, that was part of that original design. The chapter I'm in now with intelligent relations is quite different. I have a wonderful mm -hmm. wife. I have a two-year-old kid. I have another kid on the way. I, the idea, I just took a family vacation with my wife and kid and my dad and stepmom to Disney World. 
it was wonderful, but yeah, traveling is harder. Like the idea of let's just throw stuff in the backpack, put the yeah, kid yeah, in yeah. the, we'll no, like I'm very happily living a very, just very focused, like work, family, a little yep. bit of fun here and there, but I'm very much, we're, my wife and I are in parallel tracks. We're young professionals trying to right. build something for ourselves, And yeah, you talk about having a motivation. It's not just about me. It's no, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for the value of the company. I'm doing this for my family. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this for mm -hmm. my co-founders. We have employees who have equity. Yeah. I'm in a different, my motivations now are actually much more about let's build this thing fast right. and well, and in a solid way that creates wealth for people. That's mm -hmm. much more tied to this business than where I was five, six years ago. Yeah. So tell me like, okay, so you've, you've brought on that partner and how did intelligent relations come about? Because you're, yeah. you've clearly got experience and clients in the PR SEO world. And yeah. now you're stepping out or you got another, you've got another project, the second company, how does that come about? And what was, what did you do? to make that opportunity happen? Yeah. Great question. So I intentionally set out to explore other opportunities. I had, I found that net positive agency was in a stable enough place with me and Rudy, with Rudy increasingly taking over more responsibilities. And I was looking for another challenge. As I mm -hmm. mentioned, some of my happiest times are getting deep in the weeds and solving complicated problems. And I was keen to flex those muscles again and mm -hmm. it was a, do we quadruple down on net positive agency and taking that to the next level? Or is there something a little bit more inter interesting, innovative, transformative that I could do? So frankly, mm -hmm. I just started reaching out in my network and just having friendly conversations with other entrepreneurs I knew, friends who were doing interesting things and just started doing, I, I probably did coffee conversations with 25, 30 40 people mm -hmm. from my network. And one of those started talking to a guy, the venture capitalist up in Boston, serial entrepreneur himself. And he started talking about, hey, this, there's this great new technology. This is back three and a half years ago. There's this great new technology that folks are starting to talk about in Silicon Valley called generative AI, what would become chat GPT, et cetera. And, he's, and it just, it seems like what you're doing in PR, that industry, it was uh, to give credit. It was much. It was originally his idea that we could probably find a way to use generative AI to disrupt, bring transformation to the way public relations is done. Mm -hmm. And we start. I just started with that initial conversation. We're like, this sounds really cool. So we started to sketch out what that technology might look like. What would be the mm -hmm. use cases? We started to bring on clients to what in the beginning looked like traditional PR engagement so we could bootstrap cash flow, et cetera, just to build the plane as we're flying it and just start to test our hypotheses and get feedback on the tech we're building in real time. And so that it checked all the boxes around like high growth potential, disruptive, innovative, very mm -hmm. interesting, great partner with a proven track record. And so it, it was a, a very interesting move for me to dive into that. And I don't know if I would, in the, in the beginning, it was very speculative as well. It was like super <laughs> early stages, like here's an idea and some spreadsheets to play with, let's right. go. So it was not clear at all that this would have legs and start to pan out. So I did, I wasn't going to shut down net positive or try to sell it at that point. I still had a foot in that, in that world. But we, once we started to get some positive feedback, frankly, once once I built a series of systems that used AI to write a pitch to editors and we got a positive reply from the Washington Post saying, this sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to talk to your client. I'm like, all right, this, we have something, something here. here. Yeah. There have been other positive signals since then. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that was like, okay, I think like cautiously optimistic this thing is going right. places. So I guess the, the first question that comes to mind is like, how do you have time to do this? Uh, as you're running the agency and then you're also experimenting and playing with this, but your income is still on the agency side. I think a, a lot of folks get very afraid that if I take the foot off the gas on the agency, it's all going to crumble because it's so loosely held together and I'm so in integral to it. You, you had your partner there, 
but at some point you have to start taking your foot off the gas to pay attention to something else. How did you manage that transition in terms of your focus and your energy? Sure. So one great partner that mm -hmm. is, I say my exit number one was mm -hmm. handing off to trusted teammate who is still very much so integral to what we're doing at Intelligent Relations. He's head of agency at Intelligent Relations. So he stepped mm -hmm. smoothly into that role and is managing much bigger team, much bigger book of business, et cetera. So trusted partner helped to, this is during the pandemic. I did not have a kid at the time who was living with at that time, my fiance and I'm a workaholic. I just, and it's, I, <laughs> say it, I love it. <laughs> the grind. I love the grind every day during the pandemic. We got a, a heavy bag, like a boxing bag. And I was nowhere to be nothing to do except work in, and I'd wake up every morning at 5 a.m., just do half hour boxing, hit the computer, focus 12, 14 hour days and the, spend some time with the wife watching Netflix, but what else am I going to do? So I, I just, we joke that when the next, at some point when the next transition comes, not talking about that explicitly, but a, a sale emerges, you know, at some point, mm -hmm. intelligent relations will have its next chapter. Would I take, I was like, we'll take six months off. We'll travel, et cetera. And she's like, you take a week, two weeks. Yeah. I just, I, I love that. So I, I'm with you. I can't take vacation for longer than about a week or I get antsy and it's oh. need to do something. And just, yeah, know, that part of my brain needs to be itched. Yeah. I, I love the build. I really, it's, yeah. and I think that's something that it's a, a pleasure and a privilege to be able to enjoy what I do so much, mm -hmm. the highs, the lows, all of it, like end of the day, I'm working for me and the benefit of my partners and mm -hmm. that I, I get to benefit from the byproduct of, of the work. There's a tremendous amount of diversity in what we do. I wear many hats. So I have what I have, I have meaning. I have diversity of experience. I have, when I do good work, financial reward. So a lot of those mm -hmm. intrinsic reward mechanisms are built into what I do. So mm -hmm. uh, I have no problem being very focused and disciplined <laughs> on what we do. That's great. Maybe you could uh, talk a little bit about how the structuring worked, right? Because you've started another company. This is with a VC. So t maybe talk a little bit about you had those two companies and was in intelligent relations, was that uh, VC funded? How did the the absorption, the aqua hire work? How did your arrangement with Rudy work when you started to step back? Maybe whatever you're willing to share about that would give folks some ideas structurally how that might be accomplished. Yeah, sure. So I can share, I'll share as much as I can so on the... Net positive agency was set up originally as a sole proprietor LLC. Rudy and I had side arrangements around how we would share profits and any compensation that would come from a sale. But that was something that I did mostly the, the arrangement I had with Rudy was focused on profit share, mm -hmm. whereas I retained lion's share of equity on, on, on that in every meaningful way. And net, uh, and then intelligent relations is a, it's a, a proper C corp with shares that are distributed around across founders and we have an employee employee options pool and some advisory shares. And mm. that's, it, it's set up in a, a more traditional corporate structure mm. with the shareholders and voting rights and all of that. And so for, I'll, I'll take a step back and say, I, when I was originally looking at this in terms of how to do the sale, you know, I talked to friends of mine who were in mergers and acquisitions and things like that. And it's just like, what are benchmarks does one use? And they're like, well, you can mm -hmm. look at multiples on revenue or multiples on profitability and something. I was like, so I started to look at some traditional metrics and it was hard to find one that really applied because right. realistically, the factor, it, it came down to Rudy and I were making comfortable compensation but it wasn't really set up in a way I was running it in a way where like we had, we, sh we did basically full profit distribution on a monthly basis. It wasn't yep. a company that I wasn't taking a salary per se. He wasn't taking a salary per se. So it wasn't like we have a business that's spitting out this much in profitability every month. That would be a revenue stream that is worth acquiring by another entity. So yeah. when you look at it, what would my market value salary be? What would his market value salary be? Once you factored that in, 
it got complicated to say that, no, this is a business that would run without us at clear profitability indefinitely. It didn't mm -hmm. have, it wasn't set up to sell in a way that I, I now understand what that might mean a little bit better. What mm -hmm. are the churn numbers? What's the retention of, of clients? What is that I would have to, I would have done differently if I was planning in advance to position this thing as a sale to a true third party. And the other factor was that I remember I, I took a negotiations class back in college and they showed us this nice grid of stakes versus relationship value. And what matters more? Is it the relationship value or the stakes? And if you have high stakes and low relationship value, you have essentially like a transactional engagement. I want to get as much money as I can and I'm gone and I'm buying a car. I don't know you. I don't really care about you. I just want the car at the best price and then you can buzz off. And But in this case, the stakes were meaningful for sure, but the relationship mm -hmm. value was truly the most important because mm -hmm. I'm essentially trying to find an arrangement that was fair and also that was fair and preserved good relationships with business partners on both sides and hopefully bring everyone together in a working environment where everyone feels good about it. No one feels taken advantage of, and we're enthusiastic about this new vision for, for intelligent relations. So that kind of took things that, that, that made me approach the negotiation differently. And the way we ended up structuring it was a combination of an earn out based mm -hmm. on book of business from Intel, from net positive agency. So bring across all the clients we ended up bringing across, I think almost all the clients we, we ended up calling a few that didn't make sense for the new model. We got a, you know, a percentage of revenue of the book of business we brought over for the first, it was a year, 18 months, something mm -hmm. like that. So there was proper incentives for keep them around, but don't keep around the ones who really have no place under the new model. So there was right. that. And then equity for me and Rudy mm -hmm. under the, for the new combined entity, so additional shares under in, in intelligent relations. So we were, everyone was properly incentivized, bring along book of business, focus mm -hmm. on retain retention of those clients, but long run, we're really invested in the future of this, of intelligent relations and the vision of that company as demonstrated by equity in that company. Mm -hmm. And I think that that so far, all indications are that that was a, a good arrangement, a fair arrangement in terms of compensation. If I were to have tried to drive a hard bargain and get a full cash payout, I, I still would have done better getting the equity because the combined entity, the, a lot of the synergies I saw happening and the growth of this company is, is paying off. So I'm right. very happy. And I believe Rudy would agree that equity in the combined entity was a good move that, that served all the purposes we hoped. I, I think what's interesting here is your experience individually encapsulates multiple possible scenarios for people who might only do a piece of those things. So for instance, there's a large number of agency owners that I speak with who are really just running the agency for today's cash. And that's what you were prior, right? There's not a lot of enterprise value, entity value. It's not being thought of as a, I'd say, real business. It's something totally separate fair. from the owners. Correct. So, it was not structured it, in that way. It was not run correct. in that way. It was being run like a lifestyle business. And I we kept cash in reserves, but that's a very different situation from yeah. running the books for profitability and owners exactly. get salaries, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a very different thing. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, and I've seen these lifestyle businesses, which can be healthy, high six, low seven figures for the owners, yeah. uh, but they're also not sellable in a meaningful way. So it might be good cash flow today, but not a lot of that. But then, so then the other piece of the puzzle, and it happens to be you sitting in all these chairs, but it's an exit to another company where there is a synergy between the client base and the services that you do and some technology. So it happens to, in this case, be you who've you know, done both things, but I've seen multiple instances where a services entity and a tech entity can get together and actually do better together because the, the dirty secret is tech has a hard time getting customers and services better get getting customers, but harder to deliver. So the two of them together actually can be quite powerful. If you're, and if you're not starting the tech company, finding one that needs what you have can be another legit option for an exit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons that 
uh, I in particular was very excited about the the technology side of things and where we're going with intelligent relations. It, it scales better in it has potential for higher margins. In theory, mm-hmm. you can build things that have lower rates of churn. Yeah, there's a and again, like it, it was more clearly defined from the beginning that we're trying to build a proper company here. This is not a it was not an agency play. It was mm-hmm. let's build a company that's properly set up to grow rapidly, build something that has clearly defined appeal, and let's let's deliver to that brief. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe talk a little bit about how your perspective has changed on product, right? Because agencies do have a product, and that product is the work output, but now you're developing product on a tech sense. So maybe talk a little bit about how your the evolution of your thought on product and what that means for a company's value. Yeah. We now joke about it, but yeah, the multiples on a services business do not, in my experience, pan out to be nearly as high as multiples on a software business. Or even there's some kind of a middle ground with a managed service business where you have software and you have people who are running the software and that also delivers some solid value. And so I think that the focus on building products we're able to build core technology that just works in scales. Let me, for the sake of talking less abstractly, intelligent relations, the flow is like this. We have a media database that we built of journalists. We have hundreds of thousands of journalists. Their profiles are populated by analyzing 40 million and growing articles, tagging them based on, are these folks writing reviews? Are they responding to, are are they writing, covering announcements? Are they citing original data? Are they interviewing CEOs? So we're building a super powerful database that's tagged not only on content of journalists, but other content streams. And also there's a recursive learning component. So we're understanding what journalists are responding to. So we're building this core engine of knowledge around like the the world of, of content creators, journalists in particular, and getting deep insights there that would very easily offer value to many clients. You can roll that mm-hmm. out across many accounts and have value that scales. The mm-hmm. other part is that we have AI matching. So between clients and journalists, we're able to do dynamic matching on thousands of points of relevancy between clients and journalists, understand who's most likely to care about Mm -hmm. the story that your client wants to tell. And then we have email outreach capabilities and transparent reporting. And so we basically set up a whole proprietary tech with built-in valuable information in it and workflows on top of essentially a, a CRM that learns over time based on feedback. All of that is like multiple levels deep of value that would be deployed on any client that we work on. And also each client has their own, it's built into the system. Each client has their own custom AI generators. So it's like, whether it's, whether you're doing that for one client or a hundred clients in in terms of the value delivered, let's say the entire value is up to here is hundred percent of the value cross engagement. Maybe is it 50% of the value is coming from the software? Mm-hmm. Is it 70? Depends on the engagement. We can have that same base of value that's delivered turnkey to every mm-hmm. client we work with. And then of course, our model does very much so include a human layer, an expert level on top of that handling client engagement, setting up accounts, managing campaigns, coordinating opportunities mm-hmm. for journalists, the stuff where you do want you know, a real human touch point. But we can offer a tremendous amount of value right out, out the gate for any client we work with, and then layer on top of that an additional services layer that can be as thick or thin as, as a client wants and scale from mm-hmm. a very light engagement up to a far more profound engagement, depending on what they're, they're looking for. So it's a roundabout way of getting to what you're asking, but it's products, software, scales, offers Mm -hmm. value to far more people far more easily. And just also thinking about changes, trying to do, trying to implement change on a services company versus a product company. Like the way we're writing our pitches now changes. All right. Mm-hmm. Teammate one, two, three, four, five, ten. Yeah. See, are you following the new brief? Something, or I can update the models 
to implement the new change. And now I know immediately that every change is implemented across every campaign we ever run. So right. we can pivot faster. We can offer more value at scale. I think that there's a lot to be said for trying to productize in a, in a technology form that which can be done in that way, but it's also, it's hard. There's a lot. Yeah, it's hard. And it's and it's and expensive. It's just, yeah, exactly. It's a spectrum, right? You've got pure services on one side, and then you'll go to productization of the service, which is yeah. often surface level. And it, that might have to do with packaging. That might have to do with business processes. And then tech-enabled services and then pure tech. And the where each organization picks to be on that spectrum has pretty big implications about the ability to scale, how fast they can scale, and their valuation. It's not to say that a pure services business is necessarily bad. It's just a different animal, and it requires a different uh, mindset, I think, than what you're doing here, which is it's not pure tech because it's wrapped in services, which I think is probably an important component of the selling process because it would be probably hard to do it as fully self-serve. But that shows that the synergy of the old agency and the aqua hire that you did there. Yeah. For what we're doing, we're getting traction with the model I presented, where mm -hmm. it's a combination of tech and significant human touch. You know, in PR is one of those industries where you really wouldn't want to leave it 100% to AI because all the reasons you can imagine, <laughs> hallucinations and you know, right. <laughs> writing factual, uh, you got to keep it on a bit of a leash here. But human managed technology is a good model that resonates with the clients we're talking to. And also this comes from my experience. This is like a lesson I, I've learned in my experience is that it's so much easier to sell when you have a clearly defined value proposition mm -hmm. that is unique in the marketplace as opposed mm -hmm. to we do really good social media or we're a really good PR team or we're like finding a real competitive advantage. It's just our people get it. We show them a quick yeah. demo and they're like, oh, I, I understand. Yeah. So I guess for, for anyone thinking about this, it's do you have that level of product market fit, even on a services business to say, sure. this is very tightly the problem that we solve and how we solve it and how it's different from everybody else, which if you've got tech and that's unique, that's a little easier. But even on the services side, if you're just thinking, how do I like do a productized service or how do I really drill down on this? It is being not generic. It is being highly specific about the problem you solve. So that's a general point here, regardless of whether or not you're tech. It's just when you drill down into having that specificity, actually thinking about tech becomes a lot easier because then you can think, how do I make this into a product? Yeah. And I, it, it's a great point. And I think that for us, a lot of the skill set I cultivated in standardizing processes with our team of, of people was mm -hmm. applicable when we were trying to define those workflows for technology because humans can understand, people can understand if, oh, he probably meant something more like this than like this. It's like I, there, there, there's intelligence baked in that we're not going to follow a dumb instruction, but if you have to be super specific when when developing the technology side. And again, I am deeply involved in the product side of what we do. We have mm -hmm. a wonderful team of talented engineers who are able to execute this. I'm not the one writing the code, but even working with the engineers, very literal people. So we have to make sure I'm giving very specific instructions and we're having very clear conversations around what good looks like. So maybe that's a, that's an interesting thing also to, to talk about, which is for agency owners who are not coders, which would be mm -hmm. most of them. So how do you think about approaching or being comfortable with dealing with tech and dealing with coders? So you want to build a platform one way or another and hire coders or partner with them what does it take to be successful doing that if you yourself are not technical enough to always understand the technical trade-offs, mm -hmm. but you certainly have clarity on what you want accomplished? Yeah. So I'd say that this is part of the value that my 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 new business partner, Rob, the, the venture capitalist brought to the table was a proven history of building software and was able to help navigate some of the pitfalls that a less experienced team might fall into. Stepping into what some of those would be, we started with the data structure. So first of all, one step back, I took, though I had no ambitions of becoming a developer, I took a three month bootcamp before, mm -hmm. before diving into this, because for me, I find great value in at least knowing what you're managing well enough 
so that you can have an intelligent conversation. To me, it's a combination of respect for the people you're working with. And also, if you weren't to be working with good people, you could identify challenges, dishonesties, Mm. inefficiencies. You'd know what to look for. And I think anyone on anyone listening or watching would know that you know what you're good at, what you're not good at. It's a lot easier to manage people in something that you're already good at because you can just you can do a better job. You're more effectively during that space. So I did spend a meaningful enough amount of time educating myself in what I would be managing on the product side. And I think that was, mm-hmm. again, time well spent. And I think that for us, part of that education was learning to think about data structures. I actually spent months playing with different data structures in just Google Sheets, just like putting together, okay, articles table probably has these requirements. Journalist table mm-hmm. probably has these requirements. Publication, how is a journalist related to a publication? So I, I did get, though I'm again from a marketing and a business background, I got really into the weeds in the beginning. And then once we did get the engineers on board, we hired engineers who had worked in a similar space before. These are brilliant young guys who had actually sold a company that was a news media monitoring service. We got those mm-hmm. folks involved relatively early and they looked at what I said and was like, yeah, this is totally amateurish, but we appreciate the thinking. <laughs> and it, it, it informed the direction right. we went in, though they took it and ran with it and no, right. not taking but, any more credit least, than I deserve at all. Well, but you thought about the problem. And I think a, a yeah. big part of being successful at any company endeavor is thinking deeply about the problem and really understanding what needs to happen. Uh, I Most data, most agency owners don't think about data. I'm a former computer guy. So like mm-hmm. back in the late eighties, early nineties, cause I'm old, but I always think about data, but most people don't. And if you just think about if I had to take my entire business and replace each person with code and each person or code needs to talk to someone else, what information would need to pass back and forth, right? Yeah. And that is where you start when you're doing an operations analysis. And it's similar when you're doing something with a machine, it's okay, what information will need to access and how are these things related? So I, I think that even if that wasn't the data structure that they ultimately use, thinking deeply about that helps you solve the problem about the use cases for the information that we're taking in and how we're processing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And it was worth doing because there's a lot of things that weren't obvious. And I'm imagining a situation where you were, imagine a situation where we hired folks hourly to execute. Mm-hmm. If you're funding development of software out of pocket, you're going to save a lot of money if you do your homework and spend the time to define the problem very clearly. And you mm-hmm. ask someone to execute a very well-defined series of steps rather than figuring something out from scratch and uh, all the pitfalls that could come with that. Yeah, it was, right. it was a tedious process. You have to ask, what is, what is the relationship of a journalist to a publication? Some mm-hmm. of them are editors. Some of them work for the publication. Some of them are contributors. So they can work for multiple different publications. And some of them have a contractual arrangement in terms of what they cover. And others just write about a wide variety of topics. So if you're trying to get mm-hmm. insights into a journalist based on the content they're writing, how do you use the content they're creating to inform the profile of the journalist? Well, mm-hmm. uh, I actually ended up going back and talking to some of my marketing professors back in university too, just like some of the data science, some of the guys who had marketing and data science degrees, like, how would you look at this? So I, I, it's another thing that helped me a lot was I just reached out to folks who knew more than me and helped Mm -hmm. a lot with a little bit of humility and time spent listening. Mm -hmm. I I, I probably saved myself a lot of time. Yeah. I think another interesting parallel that I'm drawing to my agency at least was, so even though I'm moderately technical. And I always wanted to create code for the agency. I never got around to it but before I sold, but I did approach it in that way. I asked for all these processes that we're doing, what's the outcome? What does success look like? How do we know that we're doing well? How do we know that we're doing it efficiently? And I'd start to replace human labor with tools that we'd license. And by thinking about it on a kind of systems design perspective, even if you're running an agency, which is not fully tech enabled, you still get a lot of the benefit if you stop thinking about it as people running around with their hair on fire and start really just breaking it down into the component parts about what are we delivering? What are the inputs we need for that? And how does the little production line go down? And then where can we remove bottlenecks and replace people with technology once we've really defined success at each step? 
that's a technical process. Break the problem down. Don't skip steps, and then yep. get constantly be record, measuring and taking mm-hmm. this feedback into the into improving product in the future. These are again not the developer here speaking, but that's the process that I've learned from our developers, from my mentors, etc., to make sure that we're mm-hmm. developing what we're building in a smart way. And I think there's mm-hmm. also I just. There's so many folks I've seen, especially more on the technical side, who just build a thing that's neat and they spend so much time building it. And again, your audience is more marketers. They're probably going to think about it a little differently, but don't just build the damn thing and then hope it it has product market fit. Like test, test the assumptions. What can you test? What can you test before building and spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in, in developing the thing? Yeah. So. The analogy being, oh, you want to start your own product. So all the marketers will understand this one. It's so you want to start your own product selling dog chewy toys. The first thing you do is not make the product and order a million dollars worth of inventory and then start selling it, right? You, you need yeah. to test it first or else you're going to be out a lot of money. It is yeah. really the same thing with the tech. It's you don't build the entire thing and then expose it to the world. And here you go. Do you like it? It it is really an iterative process. And Mm -hmm. being in a services business, you're at an advantage. You started out with an advantage. You deeply understood the market and what they needed and what they would pay for. And then you jumped into the tech side and saying, oh, we can do way better than the traditional way where it's Mm -hmm. a bunch of relationships and one-on-one outreach. Yeah. And your process of breaking down the problem into or breaking down the workflows into what the people would do and replacing with the technology, it largely, that is a lot of what informed the data structure product, et cetera, is what is the process that is needed to help win media coverage for a company? Mm -hmm. And so we just Mm -hmm. started to break that down and then, okay, so what are the tech requirements to help do each of those things given Mm -hmm. the new technology that exists? And so Mm -hmm. that that was very much the approach, but it, it certainly helped to have domain expertise in yep. what we were building, public relations, mm-hmm. and also have a pretty solid level of understanding of the market, having worked in the industry for a decent chunk of years. Yeah, that's great. So as we start to, to wrap up, Steve, maybe any lessons learned that you think younger Steve, who's still running the agency, is still in the thick of it, that you'd like to you'd like to tell your former self things that you've learned that might save you some heartache or shortcut yourself to where you are today. Yeah. So I, I'll start by reiterating something you said is that there's nothing wrong with running a nice lifestyle business. I think for the time and chapter I was in, like, good for you, younger Steve, like <laughs> that was very much so that was the dream for a while. I mm-hmm. can have pride in what I built there, provided great services to great clients, managing a wonderful team of folks. And it just became clear that there was a next step in the evolution of what I personally wanted to do with my career and what talents and skills and work I had, what I thought I had to contribute. So first of all, is like not a bad move. And if mm-hmm. that's what you want to do, ain't nothing wrong with that. I think that I wish I had some knowledge around running and structuring a business. If the goal were to be to sell, running and structuring a business in a way that like this is well positioned for an exit. And that would Mm -hmm. mean it's largely accounting and operations and all the boring stuff that most folks don't really care about when they're agency owners, but you take a fixed compensation, profit is handled in a different way. You're managing Mm -hmm. your finances in a way that a regular real company would be managing their finances. You have a bookkeeper who's doing those things for you. You listen to your bookkeeper and ask for their advice and hey what are companies who are a little bit more sophisticated than me like how are they doing these things etc and i would be intentionally very intentionally setting up systems that would make me entirely obsolete in the organization or have a very clearly defined role that someone else could do in that context Mm -hmm. so i'm building an entity that is not me this is mm-hmm. not an entity that is not me wrapped in an organization. This is a an entity that offers value to clients mm-hmm. in a marketplace. And I happen to own and or manage this entity, but it is a separate entity. And legally structuring it in a way that is very clearly a separate entity and treating all the accounts in a way like we're always fine with managing the the finances, but it's a different mindset of I'm building right. a separate thing 
and that is a it's a the incredible machine over here that's mm -hmm. my job is to build this thing into a value delivery mechanism i just it's a mindset shift that has tremendous practical applications mm -hmm. yeah and i think you've embraced it certainly with what you're doing now so that lesson was certainly learned and i think that's a really valuable thing for anybody to hear which is the business is not you the business is exists for you and to the extent that it's not serving what you want right now, guess what? You have the choice as the owner to change that and yeah. change how yeah. you're approaching it. And just the, you touched on it, but learning from subject area expertise, learning from mm -hmm. people who know more things than you do in their areas. And that can be everything from your bookkeeper to getting mentors to in theory, doing some kind of strategic partnership with someone who's more talented than you are in certain areas but I think that a lot of the growth that I've done just came from listening to people who had something to teach. And the second part is, and everyone has something to teach that would, I think I could have done a better job of reaching out a little bit more in the beginning to people who could have helped me climb that learning curve. Cause man, just like you could learn the lesson the hard way, or you can just listen to somebody else who learned the lesson and save a few years. And that can even yeah. be in a book. Like you can read yeah. a book or listen to a podcast like this. When, <laughs> you could be listening to Steve. <laughs> or any of your other guests. Yeah, you, but like yeah. just the ability to learn from other people's mistakes. What a blessing. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. easier now than ever before. Do that. <laughs> Save time and money. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Steve, thanks for joining. I think folks have gotten a, a ton of practical lessons out of this about going into the structuring and how you turned one kind of asset into another kind of asset. I think that's a fantastic uh, story to share. So I appreciate uh, the time today. Yeah, my pleasure. And if folks want to reach out, the company is intelligentrelations.com. Happy to chat sometime, reach out. Yeah. My contact info is there and happy to connect. And, and so in, in terms, just, just really quickly, in terms of the PR services that you provide, is this the kind of thing that another agency owner, if they had a PR offering, you'd be a, a partner for them in order to help them expand that area of their business? Yeah, we're doing some strategic partnerships with agencies mm -hmm. that are not principally focused on the PR space. So we have a couple mm -hmm. of agencies that have referral agreements with us, like they do SEO and we help mm -hmm. on the PR side or they do social media or something else. Right mm -hmm. now, having a, a true agency offering of our platform isn't a primary focus, but we've, we do have some fruitful partnerships where they're essentially referral agreements and happy if, if that's something that your clients are looking for PR services, by all means, happy to chat about that as well. Fantastic. So thanks very much, Steve. We'll talk yeah. soon. Thank you. My pleasure.